Let's read together. Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus in Christ. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed 
and through the prophetic writings been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Derek. Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me to extend to you uh, a very warm welcome this morning. My name is, is Derek, as Johnny said, and it's both my, my privilege and my burden to share God's word with you today. Thank you, Johnny, for, for reading so eloquently this morning. I'm glad that I was afforded the opportunity to sidestep the reading as I came in this morning. There's a lot of names there that I would have mispronounced and, and stumbled over, but you carried it off with, with great, um, great pronunciation. Um, we will reference some of those, those names as I go through this text this morning. So you have to be gracious to me if I mispronounce them or stumble over them. I can't even promise you that I'll be consistent um, in my enunciation of them as we go. Um, I wonder if, like me, you ever have the propensity to be a little bit impatient when it comes to picking up a novel or a storybook. Do you ever skip to the back before you have begun or, or perhaps skip there when you're halfway through the novel as the pl plot becomes insatiable to you? If you're not a reader, do you do the same with Netflix, fast-forwarding through series to the end or indeed reading the episode summaries on Wikipedia before you move on to the next season? I have to admit I was particularly bad when it came to watching BBC's Line of Duty. And in most instances, very quickly, you come to get an understanding of how the storyline or how the plot will develop as you skip to that summary. For me, more often or not, I learned who was alive and who had passed away in line of duty, and therefore I was able to get an insight into what great drama was about to unfold. Now, well, this practice probably isn't healthy and impatience certainly isn't a virtue that we should seek, nor is it something that the scripture promotes. There is some mileage in gaining an understanding of scripture, particularly when it comes to Paul's epistles, by reading the conclusion in parallel with the meat of the letter. Because more often or not, Paul, in his concluding remarks, summarizes for us very articulately what is at the heart of the message, what is the thrust of the passage. Think of 1 Timothy, where Paul comes back to his appeal for the church in Ephesus to be faithful to the apostolic gospel message that they had swerved. Or think about Timothy 2, where Paul, in his pastoral letter to Timothy, goes back to the heart of the message again, reminding Timothy to be directed toward Christ, to be sober-minded, to be an effective servant, as Paul came to understand that his own days were numbered. And so in applying that theory, I think we can see the same here too as we look at this passage that Johnny has just read from Romans 16. 
I think we can see in the concluding remarks of this chapter that they take us back to the very heart of the letter and indeed illuminate the balance of text that Johnny read in the first half of chapter 16. Turn with me please to to your Bibles and read the concluding remarks again right at the tail end of the chapter, the doxology, the praise. It begins in verse 25 and says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we continue, let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we sang, we pray that you would speak this morning. Lord, we pray that you would reveal more of your character and more of yourself to us in this text. Lord, we pray that you would challenge our thoughts and that you would encourage our hearts. Father, may we consider your kingship this morning. May we consider your gospel. May we consider your mystery revealed to us, we pray. In your precious son's name. Amen. When Willie kicked off uh, last August our series in Romans, you may recall that the title for his message that morning was The Gospel of God. And that's exactly the same theme that we see running through this whole letter. This detailed, documented, well-developed narrative that outlines for us God's righteousness, his power, his justification, his salvation, his sanctification, and his purposes for his people. And indeed, when we get to our concluding remarks here at the end of this epistle, we see those exact same themes in a few short sentences. The essence of the whole letter surmised for us very succinctly. The spoiler, if you like, for all those with an inquisitive and perhaps impatient impulse to understand the key themes of this letter. And so as we consider chapter 16, I'm going to ask that you provide me a little bit of latitude so that we can see how, as a conclusion, this chapter actually refocuses and brings back into view the theme of the whole letter. That we would understand this letter as the gospel, the good news of God. And church, it says that we are to be encouraged by this theme, does it not? We are to be strengthened by this theme. We read that in verse 25, the very first verse of the doxology. It says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. This is the effect that Paul wants it to have on us. And we can be sure of that because his opening chapter in chapter 1 is basically a parallel of this. And Paul tells us and tells the audience there that he wants to, when he sets out writing this letter, that he wants to impart on the church spiritual gifts that will strengthen them. And then when we get to the conclusion, he's wrapping up our studies in Romans Again, focusing on this theme of being strengthened by the gospel. 
And it should be our hope and our prayer as we reflect upon our time in Romans that we as a church would be strengthened by its word. That we would find great hope and encouragement in the truths told herein and that it would continue to be a deep well of strengthening that we would return to and take bucket loads off as we continue in our walk with the Lord. So how should we be strengthened? How should we be encouraged? Look at verses 25 to 27. There are three answers in this text, are there not? We will use these as our subheadings for today. It says this, Firstly, we are to be strengthened according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are to be strengthened according to the revelation of the mystery. And then thirdly, we are to be strengthened according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Strengthened according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Strengthened according to the mystery revealed. And thirdly, strengthened according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience. Strengthened according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Point one. This is a fundamental point and one which you'd be forgiven for thinking rather obvious. Yet despite it appearing obvious... I'm sure that you can think of plenty church buildings around here which play host to socials on Sunday rather than the gospel message. I'm sure you can think about someone you've heard speak who would rather use the pulpit for their musings on politics or indeed for the advancement of their own agenda over the advancement of the kingdom. When this happens, the body of the church declines. It becomes weaker, not stronger. The church is strengthened, Paul says, when the gospel of Christ is preached and weakened, therefore, when it's not. And Christian, there's a a clear instruction in this for us to guard against this. We are to come to seek to hear the gospel preach. Skim back a few verses to 17 and 18. What does it say? It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive Being an effective communicator, a charmer, a smooth talker, someone funny and easy on the ears, but lacking in gospel conviction and substance in their preaching, is not someone to be enjoyed. They are to be avoided, verse 17, for they do not serve the Lord Christ, verse 18. Christ, this has to be our purpose from this pulpit. And that's what we as a body of believers must come to seek and want on a Sunday morning. If we want to be strengthened as believers, if we want our bonds as a church family to be enriched, then please prayerfully, prayerfully hold this church to account such that we would always project the gospel 
and preach Jesus from this place. It gets personal for Paul. When Paul refers to being strengthened by the gospel, you may have noticed that he says, according to my gospel. It's his gospel. The gospel has become personal for him. His gospel is the one where at the heart of it is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who died for our sins and rose again, the one who is eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation but everlasting joy for those who trust in him. Paul's gospel is one that you can never, never outgrow your need of. You don't begin the Christian life with the gospel and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. No, rather God strengthens us with the gospel every day until the day that we die. Was Paul's gospel any different from the gospel that was preached by the disciples? Was Paul's gospel any different from the gospel that we have The short answer is no. You can look up 1 Corinthians 15 to assure yourself of that. But we should also remember that Paul didn't hear the gospel from man, but rather directly from God. Writing in Galatians 1, he says this, verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul is conscious that he's been tasked specifically by Jesus to share his gospel. It has been entrusted to him, and therefore he takes ownership of it, not to skew it or try to reduce it, not to embellish it or adapt it, but simply to share it for what it is. The gospel of God, the good news for humankind, the rescue story of people. There is a lesson for us in here, isn't there? We're not called to make the gospel edgy or cool. We're not called to redact the gospel or to make it sensitive to today's sensibilities. We're not called to spin it. We're simply called to share it. The gospel wasn't a concoction of the disciples. It wasn't some special mix that they chose to make up and share. No, rather, it's the good news of Jesus told by Jesus. He's the object, isn't he, of our first strengthen in accordance with phrase. Be strengthened in my gospel and in the preaching of what? My gospel of Jesus Christ and in the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is what we have been set apart for, just as Paul says right at the beginning of his letter to the Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Or Romans 8 and 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Do you see the doxology bringing all this to the floor again? This is the gospel. This is what Jesus did for us. This is why we are to use it. Because we are strengthened when we do. By the one 
who has predestined us, the one who has called us, the one who has justified us, the one who has glorified us, the one who has called for us to be set apart. We are to be strengthened by the gospel and the preaching of Jesus. Secondly, we are to be strengthened in accordance with the revelation of the mystery. Verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you, and then 25b, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ago, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Be strengthened in the gospel by the revelation of the mystery. What does Paul mean by this? Well, he means that when Jesus Christ came and brought the saving gospel, something that had never been seen was seen. Something that had never been known was made fully known. Yes, it was predicted. We see that in verse 26 by the scriptures of the prophets. But it was never fully made manifest. It was always hidden. It was always veiled. This mystery, therefore, was something that was present in the Old Testament, but revealed fully in the New. And this gospel was the unfolding of that mystery. A mystery kept secret since the world began and now made manifest in all its fullness at the time, direction, and commandment of God. And Hebron, because we know this gospel, because we have ready access to the epistle of Romans, we know the mystery that all the saints of old have looked for. Peter says that they searched diligently to see what manner of person and time that these things that the old saints wrote of. And Hebrews tells us in chapter 11 that those old saints were not perfected because the gospel is the full unveiling of what the mystery of old that was present in the Old Testament. Now what is the mystery specifically? What is to be revealed? Turn with me please to Ephesians 3 and verse 6. You'll find that it says this. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This is the specific revelation of the mystery. That Jew and Gentile would be one in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. The wonderful unveiled secret is that Jew and Gentile possess the Savior. And are one in Him. One in Him. That is it. That is the sacred Secret, the union of all believers in the body. The prophets prophesied it. You can go all the way back to Genesis 9 and read of the account of the people, all the peoples in the world in a sense. For it says that they would be blessed in the tents of Shem. But these truths, though the prophets spoke of them often and spoke of them frequently, these truths were locked in a cloudy obscurity until Jesus came. And fulfilled the new covenant and drew to himself both Jew and Gentile. And this is the mystery which was revealed according to the commandment of the everlasting God as it says in verse 26. That the saving gospel should be made known to all the nations 
for the obedience of faith. Is that not something to strengthen us? The very fact that you and I can be here today, if not from Jewish heritage, is because God, in his infinite grace and mercy, accepts all those, all those who call on his name. He recognizes no creed, no ethnicity, no gender, no status, nor age or privilege. His gospel is one and for all. To get a flavor of this, you only need to look at the list of names that Paul mentions in the first 16 verses of Romans 16. 27 different people he mentions by name. We have people from Rome, Gentiles, Prisca and Aquila. We have Andraconicus and Janiah, fellow Jews of Paul. We have male and we have female. We have former slaves such as Herodian. And we have the brothers of kings in Aristobulus. We have wealthy church office bearers such as Phoebe. And people who get no other mention at all in scripture such as statues and Apelles. It's not by accident that these names are listed. It's not some piece of filler text or Paul doing it for nicety's sake. No, rather Paul writes with intention. Remember at this stage, Paul has never been to Rome. He's not visited Rome. And therefore this list that's very personal probably constitutes every believer that he knew to be in existence in that town. And he names them all in this letter. Why? To remind them personally of the glorious truth of the gospel. To remind them personally of Jesus. And to remind them personally of the revelation that is now being made clear. That irrespective of their heritage, that they have a new and perfect eternal future in Jesus. This is what we have read of and studied in the middle of our studies throughout our time in Romans. Chapters 9, 10 and 11 are all about the fact that Israel has no corner on salvation. Chapter 9 says, if you were to look at verse 6, For they are not all Israel who are Israel. They don't have exclusive right to salvation. Verse 24 from that same chapter says this, Even us whom he called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Aren't they also called by the commandment of God and the unveiling of the mystery to obedience of faith? From that verse 24 and all the way through to the end of that chapter 9, Paul speaks of the salvation of the Gentiles. He speaks about the salvation of people like you and me. What is our response? We are to be strengthened by this wonderful truth. We are to be encouraged by this truth. This fact, as the Queen knew so well, that we have a home and hope in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, then let me appeal to you to consider this revelation, to consider his life given for yours as we have been remembering this morning. Look around this room. There is nothing about anyone here that is more special or significant than you. Jesus died as much for you as he did for me and for us. His salvation 
is as open to you as it was to me and to us. And you can know his goodness as I and others do too. Be strengthened by the gospel. Be strengthened by Christ preached. Be strengthened by the revelation of the mystery. And now finally, be strengthened according, verse 26, to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. These three strengthen in accordance with statements. The gospel, the revelation, and now the obedience follow the same pattern of how the entire letter to the Romans was set out. The first chapters are all about our need for the gospel, our need for Jesus in light of our sin. The next chapters are all about our salvation as we've just been reflecting, about the revelation of the mystery, the fact that Jesus has come for one and for all, for Jew and for Gentile. Then in the latter chapters, as we've been thinking about these past few weeks, we have the instructions that pertain to Christian life to ministry and to relationships. The things that we ought to do, if you like, in obedience to the gospel that has been revealed to us. In other words, the structure of this book and indeed this doxology takes us through from our problem to the solution to the rectification of the problem and then finally to a changed life in response. Romans 12 Paul talks about the relationships that Jews and Gentiles are to have with each other in the church. They are to minister their gifts mutually to each other. In verse 9 of that chapter, he talks about how they are to love one another, to be kind to one another, to give generously to each other. And then coming into chapter 13, he talks about how this new body of Jew and Gentile be one in Christ and how they are to respond to society at large, making an example of how they are to live, obeying authorities and paying things like their taxes. And then it moves into chapter 14 and 15, as Johnny was reflecting on last week, about how we are to be smart and to not offend one another. And it goes through the details. Do not judge one another. Do not put a stumbling block in another person's way. Do not give a brother or a sister grievance by what you eat or what you drink, but walk rather in love. Follow the things, it says, that make for peace. You can see very plainly how that practical instruction would bring strengthening when people are on the same page. So in those last chapters, it's all about the Jew and the Gentile and how they get along in church, the place that they both play, how they're to share with one another, serve each other, minister to each other. And this is the incredible thing, that Paul in these short three verses conveys to us this whole narrative of Romans. In these verses were swept all the way back through the letter to review quickly the gospel. This gospel that should cause our hearts to praise. This gospel which causes Paul's doxology. It's a gospel that establishes us in our righteousness. It's a gospel for people who were formerly fallen in sin. It's a gospel concerning Jesus who has provided for us all the necessary elements of Christian living. And it's a gospel that is a mystery revealed. The Jew and Gentile can exist in one great fellowship of love, regulated by the principles and the practices 
set out for us in Romans 12 through 15. Therefore, when we think about this in Hebron's context, there is strength in obedience because that obedience brings us closer as brothers and sisters. It brings us closer, does it not, as a gathered brethren. It brings us closer as a church as we seek to intentionally serve one another and to show genuine love and care for each other. Being in obedient service to one another glorifies Jesus because it's a reflection of his service first to us. He sets us this example, doesn't he, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, where it speaks of him washing the disciples' feet, and it records this in verse 15. Jesus saying, For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. And it's in the context of glorifying God that we are to think about our service. We are, in a spiritual sense, serving the master, not people. Yes, people around us, in course, of course, enjoy the benefit of our service. But ultimately, our service is for his glory and his renown. And if we think about it in that context, it can be helpful, can it not, when people don't remember our service. Now, don't take that as an excuse not to recognize someone for their service because we all we should. We should actively seek to build one another up. But when you stand through the back of the kitchen doing all the dishes and no one gives you a word of thanks, when you prepare late into the night for a Bible study without that nod of appreciation, when you prep for a new song on Sunday and no one remarks, remember that your service is not for man but for his glory it's for the master it's all for him and we're reminded of this in Paul's letter and indeed his letter to the Colossians bond servants it says in there obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye catching service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord as not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Lord Christ. This is how we are to obey. And there is strengthening in that. We are to obey in Christ-focused service. There is encouragement at that because at the heart of of that it is underpinned by the one who does not change, the one who is the firm and permanent anchor. And there's a call for us here, church, please, please, and I say it plainly, to consider getting involved in active service in this church. Because active service in this church leads to a strengthening of the body and a strengthening of your own faith shortly after the Queen's passing on Thursday evening one of the royal commentators on the BBC remarked that the Queen's diligent service was underpinned by her great faith now whether the correspondent realised what he was saying or not is another question 
But what he said is what we see in the gospel. Obedience to Christ gives strength. Understanding that the revealed mystery of the gospel is for you and for me gives us strength. Appreciating that the gospel is Jesus preached gives us strength. And how then does Paul end? Look at verse 27. And for all these things, all these strengthening things, strengthening through the gospel, strengthening through an understanding of the revealed mystery, strengthening through obedience of faith, who do we give praise to? We give praise to the only wise God. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for your gospel. We give you thanks this morning for the good news. We give you thanks this morning for Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior who sanctified sinners like us. And Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened by your message, that we would be encouraged by the fact that we can even stand here as Gentiles, as people not of Jewish heritage but to stand here knowing that we are saved, that your gospel was for one and for all. And Lord, we pray that our response to your goodness to us would be that we would walk obediently in faith. Lord, that we would seek to serve our brother and sister. Lord, that we would seek to serve this church, not for our own gratification, but for our satisfaction in you, the one who makes all things possible, the master who is interested and who blesses our service. Lord, we pray that we would give you all the glory for all that you have done. In your precious son's name. Amen.